Hello and welcome to Equipping the Saints. I'm Ryan, and thank you for joining us today. This is week eight of our study in Roman Catholicism, and the topics for today are going to be baptism and original sin. So I'm going to start off with three scriptures to support us as we go into this, to give us a proper mindset of how we should see this from a biblical perspective. Psalm 51 verse 5 says, Behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin my mother conceived me. Jeremiah chapter 17 verse 9 says, The heart is more deceitful than all else, and is desperately sick. Who can understand it? Romans 5 verse 12 Therefore, just as through one man sin entered into the world, and death through sin, and so death spread to all men, because all sinned. And if you jump down to verse 19, For as through the one man's disobedience the many were made sinners, even so through the obedience of the one the many will be made righteous. So it's this concept of original sin. What is that? Original sin refers to the sin that Adam and Eve committed in the Garden of Eden when he did not believe in God's goodness and ate from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. We can't blame Eve for this because if we read the passage very carefully, it says that the husband was with her and he did nothing about it. And as the man, being the one who is head over the wife as well as being the first created and was the first instructed in this, he took responsibility for this. So from that moment, the entire human race came under the curse of death and sin. Therefore, the same sinfulness demonstrated by Adam and Eve is inherited by his offspring, which is what we are living with today. This is how we are born into a fallen state, and sin is in our very nature, since we are under the curse of original sin. So there are many different worldviews of how original sin affects our very nature, but for the sake of understanding the truth, we're only going to discuss the correct worldview. So the doctrine we believe is like this. Adam's sin not only gave us a corrupt nature, but it also causes us to be born guilty before God, and we are always deserving of his wrath. Think of how children are from birth. Do we teach them to get angry? Do we teach them to lie? Do we teach them to be selfish? No, it's inherent, and it is natural to a child, right? It is because Adam was guilty of sin in the garden, and as his descendants, we are also guilty and deserving of death. Because of the ugliness of our sin, we cannot please God, no matter how many good deeds we perform. So by man's power alone, our situation is inescapable and is completely hopeless. In my opinion, some of the most beautiful words in the Bible are, but God. He was not content to see us all perish apart from him. 
God knew mankind would sin and had already made a way to be restored to him, and that is through Jesus Christ. One thing to be clear about, though, is there are some who believe that our sin nature is like a disease and that we are not responsible for our sin. And if we believe that, that is a serious contradiction to Scripture. We will choose sin every time of our own accord. But God, in his love for us, made a way for us to be clean in his sight. Psalm chapter 73, verse 26. My flesh and my heart may fail, but God is the strength of my heart and my portion forever. But God. Romans 5, 8. But God demonstrated his own love toward us, in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Acts chapter 13, verses 29 and 30. When they had carried out all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. But God, being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. But God, such beautiful two words. So that's the concept of original sin. Now, what is baptism? What is the purpose of baptism, and how does it affect our salvation? Mark chapter 1, verse 8 says, I baptize you with water, but he, being Christ, will baptize you with the Holy Spirit. Acts chapter 1, verse 5. John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. 1 Corinthians 12, verses 12 and 13. For even as the body is one, and yet has many members, and all the members of the body, though they are many, are one body, so also is Christ. For by one Spirit we were all baptized into one body, whether Jews or Greeks, whether slaves or free, and we were all made to drink of one Spirit. So, baptism is a Greek word, and it means to immerse oneself or to wash oneself. Although it's not specifically called this in the Old Testament, the ritual existed since ancient times. If you notice this during the ministry of John the Baptist, no one seems shocked at what he's doing. They certainly had issues with why he was doing it, but the concept of baptism was not new to the people of Israel. When Jesus visited Nicodemus by night, he tells him, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. John chapter 3, verses 5 and 6. By this statement, 
we are to assume and understand that Jesus creates a definite distinction between a physical baptism by water and a spiritual baptism by the Holy Spirit. The Catholic Church clings to verse 5 as being a core passage that supports water baptism for salvation. But notice how Jesus clarifies himself with his words in verse 6. He makes clear that there is a definite distinction between them. And Scripture supports itself by keeping that distinction throughout the New Testament. So now let's look at the Catholic view of baptism. See what they base this on and what they believe about it. Ezekiel chapter 36, verses 25 and 26. Then I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. Moreover, I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and will give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. John chapter 3, verse 5. Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the spirit, he cannot enter into the kingdom of God. Titus chapter 3, verse 5. He saved us, not on the basis of deeds which we have done in righteousness, but according to his mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewing by the Holy Spirit. So the scriptures I just gave you are the scriptural basis that the Catholic Church uses to support their view of baptism. And this is also reinforced in other parts of their tradition as well, which we saw a tradition equals in weight with scripture. So from the Council of Trent, Session 7, on the sacraments in general, Canon number 5 says, If anyone saith that baptism is free, that is, not necessary unto salvation, let him be anathema. From the Code of Canon Law, Canon 849, Baptism, the gateway to the sacraments, is necessary for salvation either by actual reception or at least by desire. By it, people are freed from sins, are born again as children of God, and made like to Christ by an indelible character, are incorporated into the church. It is validly conferred only by washing in real water with the proper form of words. Hmm. From their catechism, paragraphs 1151 and 1152. The effects of baptism are the removal of the guilt of sin and all punishment due to sin, conferral of the grace of regeneration and the infused virtues, incorporation into Christ and his church, receiving the baptismal character and the right to heaven. Baptism remits the guilt of all sins. That is, it takes away all sins, whether original sin, as inherited from Adam at conception, or actual sin, as incurred by each person 
on reaching the age of reason. No matter how frequent or how grave the actual sins may be, their guilt is all removed at baptism. So, if we take the Catholic stance literally and at face value, we can see the following truths that they perceive to be so. First off, that baptism is required for salvation, right? They made that very clear. Real water and magic words cause you to be born again. Like it said, real water and the proper form of words. You are conformed into the image of Christ. In other words, you are sanctified in baptism. Now, bear in mind, they baptize when you are an infant. So, from your infancy, you are conformed to the image of Christ. And we'll get back to that one. Baptism forgives all sins, including original sin. And you are given the grace of regeneration. So that's a Catholic stance on that. But what does the Bible actually say? Based on what we've learned from the previous weeks, it is the Holy Spirit, by God's mysterious grace, that chooses individuals to be saved. Through regeneration, or spiritual baptism of the Holy Spirit, our souls are baptized in Christ, and we are made new creatures. No physical act of immersing oneself in water or sprinkling water on an infant contributes to salvation. Therefore, the water baptism is not required for our salvation, but rather is a testimony and demonstration of our renewal in Christ. It's like communion on Sunday or the Lord's Supper. It is not an act that sanctifies us but it is a tradition that honors the Lord by publicly making known our faith and our identification in the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's not that communion makes me holy. It is a demonstration and a desire to be made holy and to honor God in the process. It's like circumcision as well. Circumcision did not save Abraham or his people after him but it was a sign or a reminder of their covenant as God's people. And for the longest time, the Israelites thought that circumcision is what made them distinct. But you read the New Testament, and it talks so much about circumcision that circumcision means nothing, but that it is the spiritual truths within that matter. The physical act is just a sign, but the Spiritual implications are what really matter. Why do we have to do these things? Why do we have to do communion and recognize the circumcision of Abraham? It's because we were commanded to remember, right? Because humans are such forgetful creatures regarding the things of God. Rituals and traditions play no part in one's salvation. And to think so, that is a grave error, and we must not be in that mindset. So let me share with you some scriptures that the Bible explains about baptism and some truths about it. So truth number one is the Bible is very clear that Jesus is the only way to be forgiven from sin. 
and only through Christ are we allowed direct access to God and eternal life. Isaiah chapter 53, verses 5 and 6. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each of us has turned to his own way. But the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. You see, it's Christ. It's not baptism. It doesn't say anything about immersing oneself in water to be cleansed. John chapter 14, verse 6. I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. Acts chapter 4, verse 12. And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven that has been given among men by which we must be saved. Romans 8, verse 1. Therefore there is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. It doesn't say no condemnation for those who are baptized. It says who are in Christ Jesus. Very important that we understand this. Truth number two. Through regeneration and our cooperation with the Holy Spirit through faith, we receive the gift of salvation through Jesus Christ alone. Colossians chapter 2, verses 13 and 14. When you were dead in your transgressions and the uncircumcision of your flesh, he made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our transgressions, having canceled out the certificate of debt consisting of decrees against us, which was hostile to us, and he has taken it out of the way, having nailed it to the cross. Truth number three. The Bible shows no examples of infant baptism. Forgiveness of sin comes through Jesus Christ alone. An infant does not have the mental capacity to have faith or to understand the gospel. Acts chapter 10, verse 43. Of him all the prophets bear witness that through his name everyone who believes in him receives forgiveness of sins. Acts chapter 26, verses 12 through 18. While so engaged as I was journeying to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests, at midday, O king, I saw on the way a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, shining all around me and those who were journeying with me. And when we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice saying to me in the Hebrew dialect, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? It is hard for you to kick against the goads. And I said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. But get up and stand on your feet. For this purpose I have appeared to you, to appoint you a minister and a witness not only to the things which you have seen, 
but also to the things in which I will appear to you, rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I am sending you, to open their eyes so that they may turn from darkness to light and from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. Truth number four. Since believing in Jesus is a personal choice, and God calls those whom he chooses to save, we have no power to gain salvation for anyone else. This destroys the concept of infant baptism for the purpose of removing original sin. Psalm chapter 49, verses 7 and 8. No man can by any means redeem his brother or give to God a ransom for him. For the redemption of his soul is costly, and he would cease trying forever. John chapter 6, verse 44. No one can come to me unless the Father who sent me draws him, and I will raise him up on the last day. Truth number five. Jesus cleansed people of sin without baptism. He forgave the sins of certain people he encountered without being baptized. These were not exceptions, but they were the norm. Matthew chapter 9, verses 2 through 6. And they brought to him a paralytic lying on a bed. Seeing their faith, Jesus said to the paralytic, Take courage, son, your sins are forgiven. And some of the scribes said to themselves, This fellow blasphemes. And Jesus, knowing their thoughts, said, Why are you thinking evil in your hearts? Which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or to say, get up and walk? But so that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. Then he said to the paralytic, get up, pick up your bed, and go home. And he got up and went home. But when the crowds saw this, they were awestruck and glorified God who had given such authority to men. Luke chapter 23, verse 43. And he said to him, Truly I say to you, today you shall be with me in paradise. Referring to the thief who was on the cross with him. He was not baptized. Acts chapter 16, verses 30 and 31. And after he brought them out, he said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved, you and your household. What does it not say? It doesn't say, Believe in the Lord Jesus and be baptized. It just says, Believe in the Lord Jesus, and you will be saved. And then as a demonstration of their faith, you see later, in verse 33, that they went home and they got baptized. Truth number six. Paul did not baptize most of the Gentiles that he converted, yet he still considered them Christians. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, 
verses 12 through 17. Now I mean this, that each one of you is saying, I am of Paul, and I of Apollos, and I of Cephas, and I of Christ. Has Christ been divided? Paul was not crucified for you, was he? Or were you baptized in the name of Paul? I thank God that I baptized none of you except Crispus and Gaius, so that no one would say you were baptized in my name. Now I did baptize also the household of Stephanus. Beyond that, I do not know whether I baptized any other. For Christ did not send me to baptize, but to preach the gospel, not in cleverness of speech, so that the cross of Christ would not be made void. Truth number seven. Paul gives the most detailed and comprehensive description of the gospel in Scripture. And guess what? Baptism is not mentioned in it at all. 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verses 1 through 8. Now I make known to you, brethren, the gospel which I preached to you, which also you received, in which also you stand, by which also you are saved, if you hold fast the word which I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. For I delivered to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas, then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than five hundred brethren at one time, most of whom remain until now, but some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, as to one untimely born, he appeared to me also. Did you see anything about baptism in here? Because I didn't. So what is baptism? Baptism is a public demonstration of our identification with Christ's death, burial, and resurrection. The Jews struggled in a similar way with the significance of circumcision. The outward act should reflect an inward change of heart, because God looks at the heart. Genesis chapter 17, verses 10 through 13. This is my covenant, which you shall keep, between me and you and your descendants after you. Every male among you shall be circumcised. And you shall be circumcised in the flesh of your foreskin, and it shall be the sign of the covenant between you and me. And every male among you who is eight days old shall be circumcised throughout your generations. A servant who is born in the house, or who is bought with money from any foreigner, who is not of your descendants. A servant who is born in your house, or who is bought with your money, shall surely be circumcised. Thus shall my covenant be in your flesh for an everlasting covenant. But is that the extent of it? No. Deuteronomy chapter 10, verse 16. So circumcise your hearts and stiffen your neck no longer. That's the true circumcision. Deuteronomy chapter 30, verse 6. 
Moreover, the Lord your God will circumcise your heart and the heart of your descendants to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul so that you may live. And this is a, not a new concept. This is back in the law of Moses. And yet the Jews struggled with this. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look at his appearance or at the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. Romans chapter 2, verse 29. But he is a Jew who is one inwardly, and circumcision is that which is of the heart, by the spirit, not by the letter. And his praise is not from men, but from God. I hope you found this helpful and provided some clarification on where we stand in baptism as well as where the Catholic Church stands to give you a platform and scriptural references to counter their beliefs. There are so many Catholics out there that are so deceived to thinking that they are free from sin or some sort of original sin. That by a sprinkling of some water sanctifies you forever. But we have known this to be true in the Christian world. What does it say about fruit? You will know them by their fruits. Good trees produce good fruit. Bad trees produce bad fruit. Is there a dramatic difference in a person who is a Catholic versus those who is not? Are Catholics a holy people in their conduct? in their words, in their evangelism? Or are they no different from us? Do they show a regenerated spirit? I'm sure some do, but most don't. Because it's all fake. It's all falsehood. And again, my issue is not with Catholic believers, because they are greatly deceived by the world. My issue is with the church leadership, the Pope and his magisterium because they are instruments of Satan in this process by trying to warp and distort the basic fundamental truths of the Bible. We know that Satan knows the Bible very well, and he likes to appear as an angel of light. So we have to be very careful what we listen to, because if we truly believe that the Word of God is inerrant, it is without error and infallible, it is without contradiction, then there should never be a contradiction. But the Catholic Church continues to live in lies where their very tradition contradicts the Bible. So there's something very wrong with that. And I just hope that through this ministry and through your actions in people's lives, that they may come to understand this reality and that they may leave that environment and cling to the Lord God. And that's all that I have for today. Thank you for listening. I'm Ryan, and we'll see you next time. Take care, and God bless you.